I'd like us to turn in our Bibles to Isaiah 41. I'm going to read a few verses just to sort of anchor the subject of uh, prophecy into our minds and of course realize that what we are talking about is thoroughly biblical. It's not thought up by a man, but it has been written down by someone who has been moved by the Holy Spirit to, to put this down for us. Isaiah 41, I'm going to read verses 21 to 24, and then I'm going to read verse 26. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the King of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things, what they were, that we may consider them, and know the latter end of them, or declare to us things to come. Show the things that are to come hereafter, that we may know that you are God's. Yes, do good or do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it together. Indeed, you are nothing, and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. Who has declared from the beginning that we may know? And former things, that we may say, he is righteous. Surely there is no one who shows. Surely there is no one who declares. Surely there is no one who hears your words. The challenge that God himself has thrown down to us, to man and to the gods that we've invented. Show us what's to come. Yes, you know what's been. You know what is. But show us what's to come. And God is so confident. That he says if you can. Then you are a God. That's, the, that's what we're looking at. And as I said earlier. I'd like us to for the foreseeable future. Spend our Thursday nights. Looking together at this subject of prophecy as recorded in the scriptures rather than some of the fantasy that we may find in Christian literature you know where such fantasy exists all around us and um, for my part I want no part of the fantasy uh, of Christian prophecy but I'm very very interested in biblical prophecy mm -hmm. what God is saying about the future yeah. you know the moment I say pro the word prophecy two extremely diverse reactions can occur in the congregation that aren't very helpful when it comes to getting the most out of this subject there may be those perhaps there's none here but there may be those who immediately think of the sensational Straight away, you are working out dates. Straight away, you are looking for things. You are looking to, for this to happen and that to happen. It's um, the sensational. And they offer suggestions of the identity of the Antichrist, which of course we know is Lorraine Kelly. <laughs> or Prince Charles. That's our stance 
I put uh, I put it in the, in the, on Facebook that we believe that Lorraine Kelly is actually uh, the Antichrist, and of course then there's Armageddon that becomes a great part of our conversation and the tribulation and the rapture and the dates of Christ's second coming. They become a challenge to us because we've mentioned the word prophecy. We go straight away for the juggler, for the sensational. You know, for the, what does Revelation 11 mean? And, and all the rest of it. There's, but you know, there's so much more to prophecy than the sensational. Some of it can be very mundane. You know, and you know me, I pick the mundane stuff just to keep us on an even keel. I don't want you to go from here excited at all. On the other hand, there are those whose reaction is one of fear. Fear. Fear of the future. You know, some have been subjected to way over the top theories over the years. And lots of Christians have actually shut their minds to the topic of prophecy as a mental safeguard to their sanity. I sat in churches 40 odd years ago wondering will I ever see Pauline again and she was only down 300 yards down the street but the way the man was talking I was so scared because I thought that on the way down the Lord is going to come you know and, um, and I suppose that there's nothing wrong with that of course there's always a, um, an anticipation of the Lord coming and my, like my father used to say I am more uh, confident in going to heaven than I am of having supper tonight. That was, his, that was his favorite saying. You know, going to heaven is a great thing. The rapture is a wonderful thing. Me being caught up in the air with Jesus, nothing wrong with that. But when you're uh, sitting down in a church thinking it might happen now, you know, it does get a little bit overwhelming. You know, and I thought, uh, did I say so long to Pauline quite uh, properly? Did, we, did I come out on a, in a, after a tiff or what? Can I ever make it up to her? You know, what I want you to, uh, to tell you that prophecy is so much more than all those things. And uh, God's desire in writing about future events is to bring comfort to his people rather than alarm see and I'm, I'm, I hope that after, as we go through these uh, this subject together on a Thursday night that when we go from here there won't be fear in our hearts but there will be comfort in our hearts because the word of God is a comfort to us a comfort to us 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 speaks to us about the day of the Lord you know, and this is what Paul says for you know yourselves how perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night or a thief in the night as us English would say we know for you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night now that's quite scary that's quite scary none of us would know when a thief comes we wouldn't expect it we're not anticipating it but when it comes it overwhelms us and if we're sitting in our pew tonight thinking well it could be any time you know it's a, it's a frightening thought 
that we're going to be zipped away. And yes, it's going to be a wonderful thing, but it's a frightening thought. So Paul goes on. He goes on and says something else. And this is what he says. Therefore, therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you also are doing. You and I believe that that is the desired outcome of the subject of prophecy. Or indeed, it should be the desired outcome. And that is comfort. That is peace. That is joy. And also to be built up in the faith. And if prophecy, and if preaching on prophecy, and looking at it, doesn't bring that comfort, and doesn't bring that edification, that being built up in the faith, then the preacher is doing it wrong. And that's a challenge for me. Read it again. Therefore, comfort each other, and edify each other, just as you are also doing. Now how can that happen? How can we comfort each other with the future? How can we comfort edify each other with something that we don't know anything about? Well, first of all prophecy assures us that God knows. God knows. And really that's all we need to know. We don't need to know anything else other than God knows. All we need to know is that God knows and that is going to be up there with the, the most comforting and edifying thought that you and I could ever entertain. He's got this. He has got this. He's got the future. It's his future. He's there. He knows. He understands. He's under control. He's working out his purposes. Despite the, the viral activity of the evil one. He's working it out. He's worked it all out. And his eye will never, ever, ever leave us. His eye will continually be on us. And we are the apple of his eye. So there is no need to fear. But there is need to be prepared and that's the, the reason why we go through this subject we need to be prepared we need to have a level of understanding you know, and Jesus was very very um, forceful in telling people why he was telling them what was going to happen which you'll see as we go along now another aspect of these diverse reactions is that you know, the reactions of fear and uh, sensation is that we always turn our minds to the end times. The end times. I'm going to speak on prophecy. And I suppose that every one of us, the moment that I mentioned that, thought about the end times. There's not one of us thought about prophecies that have already been fulfilled. But you see, we need to see what God has done in order to trust him with what God is doing. And therefore, for a moment, forget about the end times because that's not all that God has said in prophecy. You know, um, the definition of prophecy is this, and it's so simple that I almost feel embarrassed saying it. 
It's a statement that is made before the fact or before the event. You know, and uh, such a, a, a statement gives us a number of very binding reasons why we should study this amazing subject. Now, keeping that in mind throughout the whole of our time together on the Thursday night uh, for the foreseeable future, prophecy is a statement that is made before the fact or before the event. Four things I'd like to talk about uh, today. First of all, my first point, the Bible stands out as supernatural because it is prophetic by nature. The Bible um, stands out from any other book in history. There's no other book like the Bible. And it stands out as supernatural because it is prophetic in nature. Now I got a quote for you. And this is the quote. According to the Encyclopedia of Biblical Prophecy, it's about this thick, so I won't be looking in there much. So, Ben, you like books that are that thick, as you know. And a fellow by the name of J. Barton Payne has written uh, an extensive book on um, on the on and as an Encyclopedia of Prophecy, and he says this: there are one thousand two hundred and thirty-nine prophecies in the Old Testament. And there are 578 prophecies in the New Testament, which gives us a total of 1,817. These prophecies are contained in 8,352 verses of the Bible. Since there are 31,124 verses in the Bible, the 8,000 352 verses that contain prophecy constitute 26.8% of the Bible's volume. Did you know that? Huh? That's a revelation. I think I said on Sunday that the Bible, a quarter of the Bible, a quarter of the Bible, that's one in every four verses, contains prophecy. Why should you study prophecy? Well, if you don't, you're missing out on a quarter of the Bible. And that's, uh, you know, that's, that's what he says. You know, and when you think that the Bible is made up of historic nar- narrative, of course. We've got Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And we've got uh, going through Genesis. It's, it's all narrative. It's story. You know, uh, Exodus is all story. So is Numbers and Deuteronomy, Joshua. Uh, is story kings and all those uh, it's, you know the book is really sort of jam packed with the history of, uh, of, of Israel so we've got um, historic narrative, we've got poetry of course we've got the Psalms uh, and Proverbs like wisdom and things like this and then of course we've got uh, we come into the New Testament, we've got Christian doctrine that we've been used to on a Thursday night, we've looked at the book of Romans and seen the, the doctrine of justification by faith we've looked at Galatians and to see that there is nothing added uh, to the cross, uh, we've looked at uh, Ephesians and we've seen the, the gospel or our salvation seen from God's side of everything of course we've looked at 1 John 
Hebrews, all these wonderful books of the Bible that contain so much doctrine and we are um, we have, so we have enjoyed reading the doctrine but then you realize that God's word has over a quarter or God has put over a quarter of his word over to prophecy then we do him a disservice if we continue to neglect it if we say well that's not really for us you know it only divides the church the people got so many opinions leave that to one side concentrate on the narrative concentrate on the psalms concentrate on the doctrine but forget prophecy because no one has got a grip on it and it only divides congregations but you see we do him a disservice if we neglect the subject of prophecy you know the supernatural flavor of the scripture can only be discerned by its volume of prophecy you see it becomes a book if you take out the prophetic element it becomes a history book it becomes a poetry book it becomes a moral issue book until you add the subject of prophecy and then all of a sudden it becomes a supernatural book because now we are dealing with someone who knows the end from the beginning who speaks into time about what's happening a thousand years later you know we saw that in our studies in, in, one, in John chapter 18 and 19 when, when you know and, and throughout the whole of the New Testament anyway it says and these were done in order to fulfill what was said by the prophet so and so you know and all of a sudden a book a history book, a poetry book a moral issue book has become a supernatural book because there's supernatural elements contained within it. You know, and it makes you sit up and think, well, surely this has to be God's word. Only God knows the future. That's what the challenge was at the very beginning. No one else can dict- um, predict the future like God can. Now, I did have um, some statistics years ago. I was going to do this about... 15 years ago, actually. Only I chickened out. But I did glean two statistics uh, from David Pawson. I should have sort of, sort of uh, chased him up again. And, you know, because, of course, we've got your clairvoyance. You know, your Mystic Meg and uh, Plastic Peg and all those type of people. <laughs> you know, they are there to tell us what the future is and they're going to tell us what the lottery numbers are and stuff like that. You know, and, and uh, yes... I heard people say, and you were, and do you know, I met a man in a black suit, and he had blonde hair, and he had a tie on. You know, forget the fact he was coming from a funeral. Yes, I did meet him. And, and he did say, he, you know, and we think to yourself, well, it must be right. It's got to be right. But then you, then you sort of analyze. It's a prop, about 7%. They can be accurate up to 7%. In other words, they are totally guessing. And, we, you know, and then, of course, there's the prophets of doom that we have. Uh, I think I told you before that um, at the beginning of the 20th century, or just in the middle of the 19th century, uh, um, somebody got up and said, do you know that by the middle 
of the 20th century, that's 1950, that's when I was born, or just up, just before, London will be waist deep in horse manure. That was, that was believed. And um, the, the governments were thinking, well, what are we going to do? Because the, the population is growing, and everybody's going to have a horse. What can we do without the horse? You want to look at our streets, they're going to be up here with the horse manure. Think of the rubber. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an aside. But of course, what happened as we turn into the century? The motor car. Who got a horse now? There's nobody near the horse. Now, how many you go to London today, you'd probably be hard pressed to see four horses if you went from one end to the other, up and down. See, they, they were right up to a point, but they weren't to know that Mr. Ford was going to bring his car over here. They weren't to know that petrol was going to become um, uh, all-embracing. They weren't to know about the things that are going to happen in today. So they made guesses as to what they knew. And that's how I fear about climate change and things like that. And people are instilling fear into people, dread about what's going to happen. You know, and they, you know, these are prophets of doom. A couple of years ago, it was bird flu. You know, how any of us are still here? You know, in, in 2019, when bird flu was going to wipe us all out, just a couple of years ago. You know, but something happens. Something spoils the, the prophetic view of people, and they are about 7% as well. Accurate. But when you come to the Bible, you will find that it's 100% accurate. Now there's a big discrepancy between 7, 7%. If only we could get it up to 8. What are you doing? Well, we're on 100 at the minute. Oh, and that puts it into perspective. That's what biblical prophecy is all about. It's, it shows uh, the supernatural uh, flavor of the scriptures. No, and um, it outshines, as I got for you, every other religious or non-religious book which contains absolutely none. You know, the Quran contains none. None whatsoever. But the Bible thrives on it. Every passage which we read um, uh, at the beginning, God throws... You know, the, the, the passage that we read at the beginning, God threw down this challenge to the idols to predict the future show the things that are to come go on show unto me show unto me that we may know that you are God's says God confident that he alone can do such a thing you know and therefore the Bible is unique in its prophetic nature so when we do pursue this subject we are the only faith that has got an angle or a handle on the future. Mm. You and I are the only ones that, what, that knows what the future holds. Now my second point is this. If God has bothered to tell us anything, then we must consider that everything he tells us is vitally important for us to know. I'll read that again. If God has bothered to tell us anything, then we must consider 
But everything he tells us is vitally important for us to know. So how dare we ever think that prophecy isn't for us? Oh, it's not for us. We live in the year now. We live in day to day. Christians should live in the present and be relevant to the present. And yet when we think that God has talked about the future and he's taken the time and the trouble to write it in his book and he's taken the time and the trouble to maintain the veracity that's of the, of the Bible and it's perpetuate you know, some big words in it, veracity and, and perpetuation or whatever the word is then we do him how dare we ever think that prophecy isn't for us because we bring into question the wisdom of God you see God could very easily have kept all these things to himself he could have let history roll on and everything that comes our way be a total surprise to us at every turn and I suppose a lot of us would think well that wouldn't be so bad but he hasn't done that he has chosen to let us in on some of the mechanics of his plan and of his purposes and therefore it is an extreme privilege to listen in and look into what he is saying and so Jesus uh, puts it he says this and this is what I I meant to say earlier or I said I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass you might believe that I am I tell you before it comes so when it does come you believe that I'm God because only God can predict the future no one else can so if he predicts the future and he did and it came to pass and they thought to themselves wow he was with God for three and a half years and he didn't know it but now we do and again in John chapter 14 he says and now I have told you before it comes that when it does come you may believe so prophecy is an amazing thing it brings the identity of God into play (coughs) who is God? well surely it's the one who knows the future it's the one who is in the future the one who has planned the future now then 1948 1948 was an amazing year it's one of the greatest years of this of last century was 1948 for a, quite a number of reasons first of all this young lady was born and boy am I glad she's the most beautiful woman on the planet and there she is betrothing herself to me she was born in 1948 <laughs> you can move on oh. <laughs> I didn't I didn't show her that ever wrong for that when I go. but to sort of balance it out so was Prince Charles. <laughs> he was he was born uh, in 1948, and um, where did you buy? Anybody know what else was born in 1948? Dave. Dave. 
for you know not I have got his face up there I'm Gwen I'm Gwen 1948 good year only it was it it, it, it was a crack in you I'm sorry I missed it really of course the NHS was born in 1948 see how good the year was it was absolutely incredible but you know it's incredible for more than that as much as I love the fact that it brought this girl into, into being I'm not all that uh, bothered about Prince Charles although in the same home with him he's, he's a nice guy I suppose the NHS we've all benefited from the NHS but it takes on a greater uh, prophetic um, understand significance when we realize that the forming of the nation of Israel yeah. in 1948 it was the culmination of many of the prophecies of the scriptures this moment you know and Pauline was born this moment the same year that God had chosen before eternity, before time started, that he would bring his people back into his land. What an amazing thing that is. It's incredible. It's 2,000 years have gone by, and he chose 1948. Dave was born, Gwyn was born, Prince Charles was born, the NHS was born. But it was an incredible moment in the countdown of prophecy you know and um, Bible students actually predicted the date of 1948 because the Bible is so accurate in its prophecies that they predicted the date of 1948 when Israel would go back into uh, its land uh, after 2000 years of wandering about because God said so. God made a way. You know the Bible students also predicted the announcement or the, the date of the Balfour Declaration in 1917 which was another amazing year in the insignificance of, uh, of prophecy. And the forming of the state of Israel in 1948 because God has gone into so much detail concerning the dates so there we can see it if God has said about it then surely we must be interested in what he says that's our second point now my third point is this it's quite obvious that God doesn't want us to be in the dark about what is happening around us you know if I was to go out into the world and talk about what's happening we'd have where is it all going to end? What's it all leading to? Where are we going? I thought we would be going up and getting better and having more peace and having more joy and having more this. We thought, we thought, we thought. And the reason being is because they're in the dark as to what it's all about, what's happening around us. You know, the parable of the foolish virgins would come to mind in this context. Five were prepared and five were caught out. 
five benefited from foresight while five suffered in hindsight five gained entry because they understood while five lost out because of darkness mm. now then here we are in Emmanuel Christian family <coughs> which five do you want to belong to? which five do you want to be characterized as? the ones that were prepared the ones that benefited from foresight the ones that gained entry because of understanding or would you rather be the ones that were caught out the ones that suffered in hindsight or the ones who lost out because of darkness you know it's a no-brainer we want to be the five wise virgins we want to spend eternity with Christ of course we do you know, and this is what a little verse I love that's in the Old Testament uh, and it says of the sons of Issachar what understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do you know when we understand you know the world doesn't know what to do it muddles on from day to day and it's got worse over this last three years we are muddling from the top to the bottom we are muddling through on, on a day-to-day -day basis waiting for dreadful news or for good news and we wonder where is it all leading to and we wonder where there is so much despair where there is no hope in the world and the answer is because we remain in the dark when we don't know God and the plans that he has for us so why is God concerned that we know these things that he is about to show us and the answer for our own good it's for our own good you know as we consider the parable of the foolish virgins we need always to be prepared for God's moving we need always, like the children of Issachar, to be able to discern what to do. And knowing these things, we will be the wiser for it. Wiser than our peers. Wiser than the experts. Wiser than the prophets of doom. How? Because we know God's heart. We know God's plan. Because he's unfolding it for us. In the scripture. It's for our own safety and decision making but it's also for those that we love because these things are not to be kept to ourselves you see there is a whole world out there that needs to know what is actually going on what is going on what is Brexit all about what is Trump all about what is climate change all about? What is it? Because it is dividing the world right down the middle. It's causing despair and anger and suffering. Those three things. What can we do about those three things? Are they significant? Are they in any way bound up with God's plans? And Satan's attempt to thwart those plans. You know, when I was writing this, 
the extinction rebels were lying in the streets of Cardiff or blocking the streets of Cardiff they were the climate change eco-warriors the LBGTQ plus we went in out of word letters I told David tonight I'm going to have to change my strap on my guitar or people are going to get the wrong idea <laughs> it is getting old man. it is sort of fraying at the edges they seem to have power beyond the number is abortion significant in our time and what about globalization and Islam where are all these things what are all these things about and where do they fit in and again what about Israel why are they back in the land why are they back? Why is it so important that they come back to the land? Why are so many nations intent on their destruction? Why will Palestine, Palestinian mothers put their babies on the firing line for their cause? You know, we could the answer, you know, could the answer lie in the fact that God's promise to the Israelites is this. Thus saith the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night who disturbs the sea and its waves roar the Lord of hosts is his name if those ordinances depart from before me says the Lord then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever can you see the uh, the plan of the evil one God's greatest weakest point is Israel because he has put everything that he is on the survivor he's put his godhead his reputation his character his power his uh, purposes are all bound up in Israel and if the enemy can get rid of Israel and wipe it how many times have I heard we're going to wipe them off the face of the earth why do they want to wipe them off the face of the earth what have they done what have they done to anybody only benefited every nation that they've ever belonged to and yet they are God's weakest link because if he loses the battle of Israel he becomes untenable in his position of Godhead his character will be completely ruined his reputation will be in tatters and therefore when we look out at the Middle East and we see all the people aligned to come and destroy it we know that God has got his hand upon it He's got his hand upon it. And we know that he is omnipotent. It's a good word, omnipotent, when you talk about enemies. You know, and you think that they would have got the message by now. That they cannot, they cannot disturb Israel from their place. Because God put them there. God put them there. And God 
will keep them there. Not only will the reputation of God be in Tartars, his position of sovereignty untenable, his mission of redemption would also be demolished. Now, how is this significant? You know, it's just a nation going back to their homeland. But let me ask you the question, where are the Philistines? Where are the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Egyptians, the Romans, the Medes, the Persians? Where are they? No one knows. They've disappeared. But where are the Israelites? They're in the land. Why? Because God said they would be in the land. There's a time coming, he says, when I will call for them from the north, the south, the east and the west. And they will fly in. That's what he said 3,000 years ago. And it happened in 1948. And Pauline was born. How amazing is that they're back in the land. They speak in their own language. And they are fulfilling prophecy every day of our lives. If we only knew what the prophecies were. And then last of all, very quickly. Point four. Are we in any way surprised by the way the world is going to the dogs. You know, because when you think about it, we should be, humanity should be at its absolute zenith. Because we have the benefit of extreme technology and wisdom and understanding and education and all civilization. You know, we should be looking and expecting utopia. In fact, at the beginning of the 20th century, that's what was being, that's what was said. We are heading for utopia. And within 14 years, they had the greatest war of all time. At the end of the war, what did they say? That was the war that ends all wars. And in just a couple of decades, they had a bigger one. They had a bigger one. The prophets lost out again should we be surprised even though we got all these things that we are facing dystopia rather than utopia no you're dealing on a Tuesday night we started uh, on Tuesday with the the books of Timothy and um, this is what Paul warned Timothy about he says but evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse they will grow worse and worse Paul said that in AD 50 or AD 60 how did he know that when we get to the 21st century evil men would be worse and worse how did he know that you know and um, we, we, you know, to us, well, we think that can't be right. Surely with all that we know today, we're getting better and things are getting better. We have education, civilization, better living conditions, more money, better technology, better housing. It's got to be improving year on year. Well, no. Not according to our experience, it's not. You know, with each landmark discovery that man in his ingenuity makes man in his sin will turn into something evil today more than ever before we are witnessing the hatred of man the violence of man 
the extortion of man, the greed, the immorality, the abuse, the sexual deviance and spiritual wickedness in high places. That's what we are witnessing and that's what God has prophesied. You know, couple that with the effusion of religions and cults and you see the words of Christ come to pass. Not only Paul, but he outlines the, the latter day deceptions that will come upon us. Take heed, he says, that no one deceive you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumours of wars. You know, all these prophecies are coming to pass on our doorstep in our time. And of course, we shouldn't be surprised at the state of the world because Christ told us to look out for it. When you see these things, he says, look up because your redemption draws nigh. It's nearer now than it's ever been. What's the signs? The signs are exactly what we are seeing. He tells us, tells us to look out for it. You know, have you ever wondered why people seem to fall so easily for anything that comes along, even though it defies logic at all? Why can't people see through evolution? Can you understand that? Evolution is the greatest lie of all time. It has so many holes that it holds no water whatsoever. There is no science attached to it whatsoever. It is a blatant lie. It is a theory that's based on a presumption. And the presumption is we can do without God. And yet the whole world has fallen for it. And educated people will tell, will say to you, evolution is proved when they know in their hearts that it isn't. And they know better than I do that it isn't. Why are they hoodwinked into thinking evolution is the way to go? Why are men falling or women falling for the evils of abortion? You know, when you see a young baby and everyone goes, oh. But now in America, four minutes before that baby is born, it can be aborted and killed. And men and women are walking the streets to demand that we kill the babies in the womb. And I saw a picture yesterday of a, a vicar Blessing an abortion clinic. And say, let all the wonderful things that happen in you be blessed of God. How can we get to that place? How on earth are we so odwinked? Our women so odwinked into thinking that if they kill their baby, everything's okay. Our men and our boys and girls rushing to get gender realigned. What a stupid deception that is. You know, and I fear that 10 or 15 years down the line, we're going to have an epidemic of suicide where people have realized how absolutely stupid they've been and unable to do anything at all about it. How come we are calling evil good and good evil? To me, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Unless, of course, we look at the prophecies, and especially this one. 
And with all unrighteousness, deception among those, all unrighteous deception among those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth. And that's the crux of the matter. Everything else is explained when we realize that people will not accept the truth so that they will accept absolutely everything else bar the truth that, that they might be saved for this reason God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but have pleasure in unrighteousness you see the world can be a very confusing place and lots of things fail to make sense we can become bamboozled by the goings on of people we would have thought had more sense than that things can disappoint us and we can become very disillusioned especially when we thought things were taking a turn for the better only to be dashed by some other event but things get less easy the more we uncover the prophecies of the scripture man in his sin will never be able to reform himself society outside of Christ will never reach the dizzy heights of its vast potential and although we don't really need the Bible to tell us all these things the Bible actually has just in case we didn't reel it ourselves and therefore because the Bible has told us you see when you look out into the world the thought that God has lost control has to come into your mind where is it all going to end has God dropped the reins has he dropped the button or whatever whichever illustration you would use has he lost control but when you see out there what is prophesied in here then you will realize that God hasn't failed his eternal plan is still on course he is still working out his purposes he will build his church he will call and adorn his bride he will establish his kingdom that was a good one I was I love that one <laughs> I'll do that one again he will establish his kingdom and he will reign he will reign forever and forever but the question is how do we know those, those five or six things were there that's our hope that's what I preach that's what we preach that's what we think that's what we believe how do we know the answer is because he said so because he said so he said so you know on the very long string of fulfilled prophecies that litter the history of mankind would suggest that he isn't going to fail anytime soon and whatever he says will be and that's what prophecy is all about that's why we are studying it because what he says will be and therefore what we need to know more than anything else 
is what he says and when we know what he says then we will be comforted and edified and that's our introduction into the the subject of prophecies